Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. The final episode of the show just read you know um i've been doing a lot of talking with my girlfriend with my family you know kind of thinking about my next steps in my life and where i'm gonna go and you know i just i, I just don't know if this podcasting thing um is really really working out it's been a been a hard time uh but the reality of it is you know Life keeps moving, and you guys will find more people to listen to and more people to to get on with, you know, than me, um, you know, than Jordan. And, you know, I mean, like, what is football? I'm just kidding, guys. April Fool's. It's April 1st today when this show's released. I, I had to get in a joke as – you know, I'm a jokester. So I appreciate you guys riding with me through that. I hopefully didn't ruin your guys' morning too much. We're here to talk about Ohio State football. You guys may notice something. Uh, there was not an end, as always. Um, Jordan is out this week. Uh, we are putting together a potential plan for the following week. So uh, we'll update you with that as we go. Uh, but until then, uh, this week, you're just kidding me. And then after this, uh, we'll see what happens next. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into it today, guys. All right. So this is a little bit of a throwback for me, kind of going solo on a show, uh, you know, scheduling and all that stuff. It just kind of makes it hard to get a guest host in the last few days leading up to a show, let alone prepared and then getting one rolling. But here we are spring notes we're here to talk about ohio state football as always so thank you guys it's just going to be me and you today uh so let's get into it so where do you want to start today uh i think for me it's Cade stover uh the former defensive player of the year in the state of ohio he's kind of jumped around quite a bit at the ohio state university as a defensive player as an offensive player, then a defense player again. And now, once again, and in final, probably back to being a full-time offensive player. You know, uh, I'm going to be honest. I've tweeted it out a few times. I was very bullish on the idea of him potentially playing both ways. And I, I want to go on record here and think, you know, that might still be a possibility, but it doesn't feel like it just kind of going into what Ryan Day said about this position move and what Kate Stover said about his position move as he moved over. Uh, moving positions, you know, it's never great for a player in his career. 
uh, we kind of all understand why, you know, cross training, doing multiple positions never really seems to be favorable for student athletes. And I think just finding a home that fits you best is kind of the goal once you get to Ohio State. So for Cade Stover, initially that was on the defensive side of the ball. Then opportunity presented itself and he was able to become the blocking counterpart to Jeremy Ruckert as Jeremy Ruckert improved in blocking. And they're actually a pretty solid uh, 12 personnel tandem when we had two tight ends in the game. It's interesting. Uh, so he moves back to tight end. What's that mean for the tight end position as a whole? You know, Joe Royer, Sam Hart, G. Scott Jr., Bennett Christian, all all very talented names. You've got Mitch Rossi in that sort of H-back secondary tight end role. Very valuable in the run game, very valuable in short yardage. But as you look at these names, Joe Royer doesn't have a lot of experience at the position at this level. Sam Hart, Fresh face, fresh new guy, you know, in the program. We'll see what he can be at some point, but probably still a year or two away from being physically mature enough to play the tight end position. Then you've got uh, Gee Scott Jr. Uh, He is a very talented athlete. We all saw the clip of him getting behind Bryson Shaw, where Jim Knowles kind of led into Bryson Shaw, and it made a lot of Ohio State fans happy. But what really made me happy with Scott excelling as a receiving tight end. Can he still provide that? Absolutely. Zero questions about it. He can still become a receiving weapon. He could be the secondary tight end to a more traditional, versatile, all-around tight end in Kidding Stover. Then lastly, Bennett Christian. Yes, uh, probably going to be a very good tight end for Ohio State. Doesn't seem to be ready to go. As of now, it's spring, you know, a lot can change. But as we get into this conversation deeper, this was 100% a choice of Cade Stover. When Ryan Day was asked about it, this was Cade's decision to come back to the ball. Uh, In his presser on Thursday last week, he said 100%. uh, I had to be on my terms. I had to be at peace with it. I knew if I wasn't, then it's always going to be. What if this was that? What if this was that? And I felt good about it. So he's back on the offensive side of the ball. We know Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day really live and die by being able to run quite a bit of 11 personnel and quite a bit of 12 personnel. So getting that extra body in the tight end room, especially one with positional experience and one that actually played a lot of meaningful snaps last year was probably of the utmost importance. So it's exciting to get Cade Stover back, but I am I'd be lying if I wasn't disappointed. I was very bullish on him as a defender. I really thought his biggest strengths were in the run game. And as he kind of had a tenacity that we didn't really have, and he kind of saw it in the Rose Bowl, he came in fresh, you know, didn't have any snaps on the defensive side of the ball throughout the season, comes in and makes an immediate impact. So I think we were all very excited to see what he had, what he did. Uh, and then he, he adds to that, um, they're turning me loose. I'm just trying to bring what I did on defense over here to offense. So far, I've done that. I'm a lot happier. So one of the biggest issues with Ohio State last year was this lack of physicality in the run game. Stover brings that in bunches. I, I'm very excited to see where he goes from here. Uh, but overall, I think the move is good for all parties involved. So to start with the offense, now you have a definitive starter at tight end. You've got the 11 personnel you want. You've got the 12 personnel packages. You know, you could get two tight ends in the game. You can have a receiving threat with Scott. You can have Stover as a blocking guy who has made the timely catch every so often. This is big there. The defensive side of the ball, to me, that shows a positivity. Uh, The two linebacker system was never going to get a ton of bodies involved, even with the addition of a four, three sub package. You still don't use that on a week to week basis, but that means the defense feels confident enough in the players they have on that side of the ball to really just let them fly and learn and get more reps. And now you're not splitting them with Stover. So that, that to me is a good sign. And overall team chemistry wise, I think, Stover 
being willing to do both sides of the ball, being willing to step up and play linebacker, being willing to play tight end, you know, kind of just doing everything is going to make him a very endeared figure in the locker room. And I think once you start preparing for the NFL, once you're a player like Stover, having that positional versatility is of the utmost importance. So it's really just a, it's a great opportunity for Stover to continue to grow at a position where I think his athleticism, his size, he can continue to develop. And if he continues to increase his ability as a pass catcher, going to be incredibly dangerous. But I like this quote a lot. Just trying to maul people, really. Whoever's in front of you, you're just trying to really flat out just push him on his back. It's like in a street fight, you're trying to put whoever's in front of you on his back. Um, I like it. I think that's what you want from a tight end, especially at Ohio State. Um the last thing I'm going to say on the tight ends before we move on to the next part of spring practice. Um, it's really a position you can expect 20 to 30 catches, but the reality of it is you're going to make your money in the run game and as a blocker. For Ohio State to have the trust in that position group, in that player, Kevin Wilson has said it a thousand times. You need to be able to block. That's why when Jeremy Ruckert was first coming up at Ohio State, a lot of Ohio State fans were disappointed in his usage. The reason he wasn't used as much is because he couldn't get it done in the blocking game. And as a tight end, you earn your catches by being a dominant run blocker. And I think that's Stover's strength. And he'll continue to develop as a pass catcher. And eventually you hope it catches up and he can become a legitimate pass catching weapon that can get you 30 catches, 350 yards, and a few touchdowns in the red zone. So, overall, the move is going to be very, very good for both sides, everyone involved. I think Stover, the offense, it gives me good feelings about the defense. So, uh, that's a big that's big spring news, you know, Cade Stover. Uh, you know, it kind of makes me think, you know, I was hoping we'd get that famous, you know, two-way player again, you know, the Chris Gambles. You know, you got to go way back in the day for some other ones, but – yeah, Carl Willis, uh, all these guys back in the day used to play two ways. Uh, personally, my personal story, I played special teams, offense, and defense when I played in high school. So uh, it, it still still exists in the modern day, uh, but it doesn't seem like Stover. Uh, it was in the cards for him. So that's where we're at with that position. Uh, the depth there, uh, I don't think the depth's bad. I just don't think it's ready to play yet, and that's kind of – where that conversation starts and ends. And we kind of already touched on it. Uh, Moving forward with the show here, uh, the next conversation topic throughout the week has been the linebacker position. Uh, Speaking of Cade Stover, he moved, which kind of brought a lot of attention to this group. You know, you've got the running back transfer, Diamante Trainum here. You've got, Steel Chambers in his first official offseason as a linebacker. You've got, you know, a group of young guys in C.J. Hicks, Gabe Powers, Reed Carrico. You've got the transfer from last year, Palio Natiote. Uh, you know, it's a loaded group. I think there's a lot of bodies. You know, Taraja Mitchell's a guy who could be a thumper. We know what he is capable of bringing. Who's going to play? That's a big question right now. If I had to wager a bet, just kind of going off what Jim Knowles is doing, it'd be Chambers and it would be Diamante Trainum. I think Tommy Eichenberg's a guy who also might fit in that two-person rotation, just depending on how well and how much he develops as a sideline-to-sideline run defender. I think um, the names that are being talked about the most uh, are obviously Steel Chambers, are obviously the young guys, you know. Gabe Powers, C.J. Hicks, Reed Carrico, all extremely impressive. Hicks and Powers in their first camp. Uh, Carrico in his second year already kind of making a name for himself a little bit. You know, it, you know, with the excitement of all these players, it makes you forget about an Eichenberg. It makes you forget about a Simon. But those guys were first-year starters last year. Got incredible experience. And with good coaching and – the tutelage of the defense coordinator himself, Jim Knowles, I think they could become 
a legitimate force, Cody Simon and Tommy Eichenberg. But I think the challenge of bringing in a transfer like Trainum, bringing in some young guys like Hicks and Powers, you know, we always understand that physical development jump from year one to year two is extremely it's a huge leap usually. So there's a lot of bodies in there and you can see that's probably a big reason Stover moved, uh, you know, not having really a future in the traditional four two look, you know, the Jack was introduced this week. We're going to talk about that here in a few seconds, but overall, I, I think you go down the list. This is a group I'm starting to gain a lot of excitement for. And I think the coaching staff is as well. And I think Jim Knowles is continuing to put his stamp on this roster week in and week out. And I think a quote that I'm going to take away from him is, you know, you're going to try to install as much as you can. You know, sometimes you look at them, they can take on more information, more information, you keep giving it to them. And then sometimes they'll look at you like, Hey coach, like what's going on out here. Uh, That's, that's exactly what you want to hear. You know, slowing it down on these little things, not rushing any sort of teaching, not rushing sort of any installations. You want to make sure the players are picking up what you're putting down as you go along. And I think that's an emphasis I'm seeing from this coaching staff this year that we might not have seen the last year so far. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see this. Um, Speaking of the linebacker position groups, Everyone was really excited about it. The Leo position. The Leo. Um, What's that mean? Well, it means you're the king of the jungle. That's freaking cool. The king of the jungle. So right now, no one's technically the king of the jungle. They've got quite a few people who might make the leap and become the king of the jungle. But right now, it's a jack linebacker position. So to count the list of positions under Jim Knowles that are new. You've got the Jack linebacker. You've got uh, the Mike and the Will linebackers, traditional Barry. Uh, you've got the Sam linebacker in four, three sub packages. You now have an adjuster, a bandit and a nickel safety. The nickel kind of got botched on the whole cool nickname thing. And you've got two cornerbacks. And three defensive linemen. The people excelling at that position are Jack Sawyer. Right now, Mitchell Melton, Caden uh, Curry, the recruit, has got a little bit of an opportunity at that position. And I think an interesting point Jim Knowles brought up during his press conference is, you know, there's probably some guys who could play this position. You know, there's a lot of guys who are, really elite hand in the ground pass rushers that you'd really want to use as a weapon, but sometimes it's just better to let them fly and be a hand in the ground pass rusher. So I think that establishes a guy like JT Tuamaleu playing as a traditional hand in the ground defensive end. I think that puts Zach Harrison as a guy who's going to play a traditional hand in the ground defensive. end. I think you get guys with those not smaller bodies, but, a little bit more tweener athletically. And I know Jack Sawyer is an elite pass rusher, but where can he create the most value for the defense this year? Third down situations. And as a Jack of all traits, pass rusher run defender that you move around and weaponize in that Leo position, Mitchell Melton's a name that's exciting to see. He's a great player. Who's a great high school player. And now he's getting an opportunity to flash at a position that, you know, he might be an incredible fit for. And that's something to think about. Other guys like Javante Jean-Baptiste, a few other names been seen at that position. But overall, it's installed. Uh, Is it going to be the new bullet? Are we going to see it very much? Those are a lot of questions that could be answered. But I think the fact that they're installing it means that there is a plan of use in the Big Ten. Moving forward, the 4-3 sub package. You know, Jim Knowles did not run that a lot at Oklahoma State. They did not see a lot of 12 personnel. They did not see a lot of 21 personnel. And when you take on and play teams like Wisconsin, like Iowa, you know, a few teams in the Big Ten, Michigan themselves like to run quite a bit of 12 and 21 personnel. 
at times if they have that personnel to use it. You know, sometimes they like to bring in that fullback or H-back type. Sometimes they like to have two tight ends on the field. Having a variety of different defenses is such a breath of fresh air. Like you guys should all agree with me. You know, last year, two years ago, I mean, outside of the four four defense that they occasionally ran, like anytime Ohio State stepped on a football field, you knew exactly the personnel you were getting. You knew exactly what they were going to try to accomplish, and you knew exactly where you could bend them and break them. And that's exactly why games like Michigan and games like Oregon happened. Now we take a look at this. We already have a new position in the Jack linebacker. We already have an additional four, three sub package with a bigger Sam linebacker, you know, uh, names like Palio Natiote have been bookended there. Uh, Reed Carrico is a guy who they've been interested in playing there. And this was a position I thought if they brought it in, Kate Stover could have played at, uh, which is what he kind of did in the Rose Bowl game. So, Overall, the exciting thing about this linebacker position group, outside of it being incredibly deep, outside of the young guys showing up and being very, very prepared to take on first-team offensive players to play and take on what Jim Knowles is teaching immediately, is the fact there's a ton of variety. And, you know, we haven't even really discussed much about his coverages. It's mostly just been about positions, alignment, formational matchups. And we were already getting such a wide range of different concepts and principles from Jim Knowles. And I think that is the most exciting aspect about the offseason to me. And that's why I'm excited for the spring game in two weeks. Because we're really going to get to see an incredible, versatile, multiple defense. And that's not something Ohio State's really had. I, I think in my time as someone on this earth, like straight up in our time, we've had really good defenses with a lot of really talented players. You know, think back to the national championship team. You had Sam Hubbard, Joey Bosa, Tyquan Lewis, an elite defensive line. You had really good three linebackers. You had a really elite secondary group. So you really didn't have to do too much outside of it. You'd occasionally bring in an additional pass defender. You'd occasionally bring in an additional run defender. But overall, you can keep it basic. You can keep it simple. And now offenses have caught up to that. You cannot have a simple outlook. That's why when you look at Jim Knowles' defense at Oklahoma State, not a single player rated over a four-star on that defense. Most of his starters were three stars or unranked recruits. And they were one of the most successful defensive defensive outputs in the country. Like Overall, they were top 10 yards per play. They were top 10 in yards per game. And in a three-year stretch, they improved every single season. What's that mean? Maybe Jim Knowles' defense won't immediately become a top 50 defense. Maybe it won't initially become a top 30 defense. You know, we don't know the baseline. We don't know how much the level of player impacts this. We don't know how much you know, the players will be able to execute all these new concepts in the games. But it has me incredibly excited for the next three, four years, especially with how Ohio State's recruiting on the defensive side of the football. So I'm excited for the linebacker position group. I ain't hearing about that from Jim Knowles. I ain't hearing about some of these players very excited about what they've seen put in, you know, my favorite picture of the week, Taraja Mitchell with the arm sleeve and the neck roll. I, if you guys haven't seen that on Twitter, let's go check that out real quick. It's incredible. I don't think there is a more neck roll worthy player than Taraja Mitchell. Uh, you know, I almost called him Tough Mitchell. I think that might be a good nickname if he excels, you know. But yeah, I think that group's that group's exciting. It's exciting. You know, look at the players, look at the recruiting rankings, look at who's been brought in, look at Diamante Trainum's highlights as a running back, look at Steel Chambers last year, underweight, undersized, still incredible at times. 
I, I don't know how anyone's not excited about the linebacker unit this year. It's my favorite group on the field. The last spring notes I have this week, the O takes center stage. And, you know, as I get deeper in the show, it is really fun bouncing off these conversation points with each other. And I feel like I'm trying to bounce them off you guys and not getting that instant reaction is kind of a little weird. It's not, I used to do this every single, I used to do this three times a week, 55 minute shows by myself. Um, So it's interesting how much things change in a year. Uh, but the OL takes center stage and uh, this is a position group under Justin Fry. And I, I really want Justin Fry to get the next media availability. I really want to hear from him about how they're developing. I really want to see how they're growing as a unit. And overall, I, I just truly think this is something that is kind of going under the radar. You know, Ohio State has a new offensive line coach for the first time in almost seven years. So there is really a new voice in that room. There's a new energy in that room. And I'm just so intrigued by it. I I think when you really look at who Justin Fry is, similar to Jim Knowles, where he had a bunch of three-star players. And and Justin Fry is going to get three or four guys drafted this year from his UCLA group. Um. So he, he's done an incredible job there. Uh, Brian Day uh, had him as a younger coach. He's, it, it, he's the most interesting coach on the staff to me. The only offensive coach who was who's brought in as a replacement, you know, you bring in a whole entire new defensive staff. That's one thing. But you bring in one offensive coach. You replace Coach Studera, who has had his ups and downs, you know, wasn't always a great recruiter at the end, you know, had a few big wins throughout his time, but nothing crazy was able to keep the Ohio guys in state, but never truly did anything extraordinary, I guess would be the best way to put it. Now you've got Justin Fry, a Midwest guy, Indiana native Columbus, you know, coach on the West coast coached in the Northeast, has kind of been around the block, has kind of coached every level of football player you can have. And now he's coming in and he's got Paris Johnson Jr. He's got DeWan Jones. He's got a variety of potential interior offensive linemen that could fit, that could play. And I really think this position group is kind of being undervalued, underrepresented. You know, you lose a veteran in Thayer Munford, you lose – uh, bookend at tackle and Nicholas Petit Friere. You really, you know, you only have really Luke Whipler to rely on and Dewan Jones playing the same positions as last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how this group plays. Uh, the one thing I am gaining from this group, and it came up when you saw the offensive linemen speak today. They took center stage with the press conferences on Thursday, March 31st. Uh, it's April 1st as you guys are listening to this. But the echo of being a physical group, uh, being explosive off the football, understanding your role in the entire scheme of the offense, not just in your individual place. Um, it, it's really a – it's a group that has – a very positive energy and in a group where there's actually a lot of competition, especially for the two guard spots in the center spot, there really is a vibe from that group that I'm very much appreciating. Uh, you know, I, I still project my starting offensive line to be uh, Paris Johnson Jr. at left tackle, Donovan Jackson at left guard, uh, Luke Whipler at center. And then uh, Matt Jones at right tackle and Dewan Jones or Matt Jones at right guard, Dewan Jones at right tackle, um, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, but it, it's, I'm trying to find the right word for it. You've got a mix of veteran presence, you know, Matt Jones is taking snaps. You've got guys like Enoch Vimahi who are really pushing to get a starting job under this new coach. You know, just going down the list of these offensive linemen, it, it's it's a wide open competition. It's a very 
very important group. Obviously, we saw what offensive line struggles could do to a team last year. And I think when you look at the names and the body on that side of the ball, we really get to see a variety of people. I, I think the most important thing is this group stays very unified. I think you still have the potential of six or seven guys playing significant snaps this year. You know, you always want to have a swing tackle in the mix. Uh, Jacob James was a guy who got to talk to the media. Um, Enoch Bimahi can play all five spots on the offensive line. So I, I'm really, I'm really interested to see this group. I'm really interested to see them keep excelling. Uh, but this position to me is a position of strength. Absolutely. I, I don't think I'm nervous one bit about this. Uh, the one thing I would bring up though, is Ohio state needs an elite recruiting hall from Justin Friday's next two seasons to rebuild, reload, rebuild the room because coach Studera had a slight drop off and you could lose Dewan Jones this year. Paris Johnson Jr. is a guy who can leave soon. Luke Whipler, if he has a good year is a guy who might be out of the building. Matt Jones is gone. Uh, regardless, he's in his extra year of eligibility. So, you know, you start counting all the hats on all these guys who have had playing experience and who have NFL potential, you know, it, it's really, it's really a question of depth at this point. And I think Ohio state has incredible depth for this season. I think they have good depth for next season, but three, four years down the road, I don't have prospects I'm currently excited about and that might just be me personally you guys might have some guys you're really intrigued by but I, I just can't say it's a room I'm currently confident in five years down the road versus where the receiver room is exciting for the next three four years regardless of who's taking snaps the running back rooms in a similar grouping you know the quarterback rooms in an incredible place that's the one position group on the offense where the projection to the future isn't as clear as the other ones. But overall, I think it was fun. I love hearing DeWan Jones talk. Uh, he's an incredibly funny guy. I Whipler. This was huge to me before we move on to the next one. So Ohio State in their cafeteria has a bunch of TVs. Who would have, who would have guessed it? Uh, the one of the richest football programs in the country, having a bunch of TVs up in their facility. Yeah, not me, uh, but all jokes aside, Ohio State had the Big Ten Network on there. And we all know, I mean, the Big Ten Network reshows a lot of games, and it's definitely not the Ohio State Network. So uh, sometimes those games involve Ohio State being on the losing end. Uh, unfortunately for the players today, a Michigan Football Classic came on. Guess which game it was? A Michigan Football Classic, their most recent football classic they've had. Uh, it was Ohio State versus Michigan in Ann Arbor the weekend after Thanksgiving in 2021 with snow on the ground and they saw it and they got angry. I know as a fan of this team, I get angry every time someone brings it up. I don't even really engage with people who are Michigan fans on Twitter anymore uh, because I know what's coming next fall. I know what's happening in this building at Ohio State. I know who's not prepared for it. I know what's going on up north, and it's not as pretty as they want you to think from the outside. I love the fact it came on. It pissed these guys off at practice on March 31st. And I'm assuming they had a really incredible practice today. So, um, yeah, you know, let's keep that showing. You know, I think those types of motivation, you know, seeing the score of Clemson games, seeing the score, you know, it works. And I think you needed that humble pie to really take this program to the next level. You know, there was a complacency on that team last year. Jack Sawyer talked about it. Other players talked about it. Can't be complacent anymore. Um, with that, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the foundation. We're going to be talking about the blue bloods of college football. And we're going to be talking about the final four with my predictions. And I'm very excited to get into that today. 
so uh, appreciate you guys sticking with me for 32 minutes. Uh, we'll see you guys on the flip side. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back in, everybody. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying my return to soloing this week. Um, it's been it's been it's been interesting. I feel like the dynamics a little different when I, different when I'm talking directly to you guys, the audience, versus when I'm talking to Jordan or Matt or Josh on the instant recaps. Uh, but I think this week, uh, this this show uh, is important. This show is going to be a lot of fun for you guys. And it, it really, to me, it, it's really funny because it is truly it, like, I don't think you got, if you guys want to go check out my old feed, like I literally did three shows a week, 45 minutes to an hour long Monday, Thursday, Sunday, however it broke down during season. And it, this is, this is what I did. This is what I did. So I'm really happy to have you guys here. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this show. Uh, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns that you have regarding Ohio State, feel free to tweet at me at BuckoffPod, at Chris Rennie CFB. I respond on both, uh, and I would be happy to answer any questions next week. Uh, we're going to see what we're going to be doing next week on the show. But for now, it's still just me, and we've got to get into some serious conversations about NIL money. Um, the foundation is here. What is the foundation? It is a 5013C nonprofit organization registered in the state of Ohio at the Attorney General's office. What does that mean? It means it is a charitable nonprofit, and there are implications regarding Ohio State football. No, it is not directly connected to the Ohio State University, and no, it is not a slush fund of money even if it actually is that. It's not technically that. It is a charitable nonprofit organization created by Brian Schottenstein and chaired by Cardell Jones and a long list of other Buckeyes. Uh, there's a huge opportunity for a bunch of former Buckeyes to get involved with creating NIL opportunities for the current Ohio State football players. Regardless of the moral questions and the moral ambiguity of a bunch of rich people creating a nonprofit organization to pay football players. Uh, I think the real question here is what is this? What is this? What is the foundation? What did Brian Schottenstein, Schottenstein family create? Uh, what can you do to help Ohio state? Does it fully help Ohio state? Uh, does it bring us to the levels of Texas A&M? Does it bring us to the, should people who cover Ohio State for Bucknuts be donating money to a fund for a team they cover? Doesn't that like ruin journalistic integrity or something? Uh, investing in a product? I don't know. I'm an Ohio State graduate. I felt very proud of some of these local businesses and getting players involved in NIL opportunities without a foundation. So, what does the foundation do? The foundation is a business and I'm pulling up their website right now because it's new. It's interesting. And, um, I, it's really to me a little, it, it, it's a little outrageous in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, I think when we talk about a charitable NIL fund, there is, a lot that goes into it. And yes, you could donate your 20 bucks. You could donate your 
money to Ohio State football players and all that stuff. You can do whatever you want. Uh, but I personally don't fully agree with the way it's going on. So to me, when I look at Texas A&M's, and I did some very short-sighted little research when I looked at Texas's, uh, they were just a charity fund for rich boosters to repurpose current donations to play recruits and players indirectly. Uh, and they did not really ask the average Texas fan for $20 donations. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, you know, the donations are going towards specific Ohio state student athletes in exchange for compensation. The student athlete will help promote and raise awareness for one of our approved charitable causes. So you're paying a charitable fund to pay an athlete to raise awareness for other charitable funds. Um, to me, that's an interesting business model. And yes, all money of nonprofits are public. Uh, you, you can see them. Everyone can see them at the end of the year when they pay their taxes and do their taxes because it's a nonprofit. Um, but your donations, this is on their website and they're frequently asked questions. Your donations will go towards specific Ohio State student athletes. In exchange for compensation, the student athlete will help promote and raise awareness for one of our approved charitable causes. All right, so how do you donate money? You can visit the donation page on our website and choose the amount you wish to donate. You can pay with PayPal, Venmo, or credit card. Standard. Can I choose what sport to donate money to? Currently, the donations go through our website, only go towards the football and men's basketball team. If you wish to make a specific donation towards another sport, you can email info at thefoundationohio.com for a certain amount. You can, however, make a designated gift to a certain sport. Okay, cool. Can my donations be to the foundation be used as a tax write-off? Yes, any money you donate to a 5013C can be, or C3, sorry, uh, can be used as a tax write-off. What sort of documentations will I need for tax purposes? After submitting your donation, you'll receive an email receipt, standard. Are your board of members compensated for their positions? No, all board members have volunteered their time to help our cause of supporting student athletes and charities meet our board members here. We're going to do that next. Uh, so the reason I think that's intriguing is uh, there are ways, and this happens in politics all the time, to where people use the money donated, take advantage of it, and you know pay for certain aspects of their lifestyle through the fund. Uh, you want to host a gala dinner, use the fund money. You want to pay for a gala dinner. Uh, you want to pay a donation at something, you know, you could use those funds rather than your personal checking account. It still is charitable money. It's still going to charitable foundations and needs, but the benefactors of it are still taking advantage of the cash flow in and out of the business. That's where it gets a little seedy to me. Uh, it's also to me feels like if you're a really rich person and you're starting a charity fund to fund football players and you're donating that money, what would stop the Steens from donating a hundred million dollars and then writing it off as taxes? Nothing. And that's their prerogative. I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. Uh, it just seems like a little seedy when you slice it that way. Overall, I really do think this is, is a step in competing in the NIL landscape. Uh, their website currently doesn't show the board unless you refresh it. Uh, so uh, Brian Schottenstein, board member and co-founder. We all know the Schottenstein family. Uh, very straightforward. Cardell Jones, board member, co-founder, and general manager. Uh, he's going to be responsible for distributing the money. Corey Schottenstein, one of the Schottenstein family members, uh, Director of Player Personnel. Uh, what does that mean? No idea. Urban Meyer, board member. Cool. Scott McComb, local businessman and CEO of a bank. D'Angelo Russell, MBA guy. Rick Riker, one of the largest NIL opportunists in the city of Columbus. Everyone knows Rick Riker, everyone's favorite car salesman. 
Laura Comic, uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right, handles business, commercial, corporate matters, various governmental law areas, and Board of Revision, Board of Tax Appeals work. Uh, she does a lot of work as an attorney, so she's the attorney. JT Barrett, the winningest quarterback in Ohio State history, is connected to it. Jason Parks, uh, president of the Media Captain, a digital marketing and web design firm based in Columbus. Uh, this is going to help them with marketing the players, marketing the foundation, and it's going to be interesting. Will Allen, former professional football player, Mike Goges, director of finance and audit. He's going to be the one keeping it legal. And, you know, the list goes on of just a bunch of different board members who represent different aspects of Columbus, Ohio, and are looking to make their stamp on the football program from a financial standpoint. Uh, what I will say, your $20 donation recurring is probably not going to change the mind of a five-star recruit. I'm going to just be honest here. I think the recruiting impact of the personal donations going into this slush fund are very much overblown. But to all those people who are going to throw $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 down, you get enough of those people, it really does create a lot of cash flow to these players indirectly. And I think that's a very, very interesting aspect. Uh, You combine that with the already rich boosters that are going to be donating to this fund, and you really are going to have the most valuable – NIL fund, I think, on the planet. Uh, regardless of how I feel about the morals of it, regardless of how I feel about the people involved in it, and it's not like any like I have any problems with the people involved in it. I just think uh, this is very much one. It's very much to pay football players, and I think we all know the only reason it's a charitable fund is because they can't just raise money and pay football players directly. So uh, I I feel like that moral ambiguity of me using the guise of charity to pay football players kind of makes me feel a little dirty about it. But I think at the end of the day, it is one of the evils of creating a national color football powerhouse. And if it gets you one more five-star recruit, two more five-star recruits, the value is there. So it's, it's here. The foundation's here. NIL's here. And me and Jordan have been very pro-NIL here. I really wish he was here to talk about this one with me. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about it at some point together. So uh, the next thing, uh, yeah, just the final thing. I just, you know, I already said it, moral ambiguity, something off about it. I, you know, their morals in college football have never worked together. And I think – That's really where it starts and ends. I'm excited to see former football players involved, but I swear to God, if you donate $1,000 for a JT Barrett or Cardell Jones football, come on, guys. You can buy one on the internet for way less than a $1,000 donation. But I guess, you know, reward the people who are rewarding the players. So that's that for you guys. Uh, Moving on, uh, speaking of money, Speaking of money, uh, the term blue blood, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? Uh, For the longest time when I was younger, I um, confused blue blood with blue chip. Um, But overall, blue blood, I'm a big fan of it. It means noble birth, uh, plural noun, Uh, blue bloods. Blue Bloods, a comforting figure among that crowd of Blue Bloods. Blue Blood is no guarantee of any particular merit, competence, or expertise. Uh, It means coming from old money, privileged, wealthy, and powerful families. Uh, What you've built in the past has created a significant advantage for you now in the present. And to me, being a Blue Blood is no small thing. I think it's a very loosely thrown around term. I know the conversations about Villanova basketball, you know, I think the list of blue bloods in college basketball is smaller than the list of blue bloods in college football. And it's for good reason. There's been a lot of really good basketball programs who have had moments in the sun who have been consistently good over time, but to fit that same narrative is 
something that a lot of schools have. You've had Duke, you've had North Carolina, you've had Kansas, you've had Kentucky. Those are the four to me. Uh, I might miss one. It uh, doesn't really truly matter to me. Um, in football, you've got a few more. But when we talk about old money, when we talk about new money, when we talk about the consistency it takes over a decade of time, I actually was included in the athletics mailbag this week, dear Andy, because my opinion was taken very seriously on this matter. So uh, when you come to creating a blue blood, when it comes to recognizing what a blue blood is, I have become what some might call an expert on the question. Uh, To me, a blue blood is something of elite nature. Uh, The three major components to me, before you start nitpicking, long sustained historical success and relevance, reach the pinnacle with national titles in multiple eras of the sport. You can define the eras on your own. You have the pre-World War II uh, era. You have the early 1900s and late 1800s, the beginning of college football. You have the 20 to 40s during the Depression era, which really created some lopsided changes to the sport itself, um, created this very regional footprint as well. Uh, You get post-World War II, you kind of got that last era before integration fully happens. And then you get through the 80s and 90s where football starts becoming modern, the 2000s and then the college football playoff era is the most recently new era. Okay. So when you take TV money, when you take all those into consideration, when you take the growth of the sport, historical success and relevance, multiple titles, uh, multiple eras of success, and then a long list of accolades for players such as all American honors and end of season awards, Ben and Eric awards, those types of awards, the Heisman trophy, the Maxwell where the Davey O'Brien Award for quarterbacks, the Belenikoff for receivers. I, I know those awards don't take the full significance, but that's the separator to me between the best Blue Bloods, the second Blue Bloods, and just missing the cut. So to me, when you look at Blue Bloods, I think there's only two true Blue Bloods in the entire sport of college football. To me, the two true Bloods, uh, that's what I'm calling them, are Ohio State and Alabama. They have consistently set the standard. They have the most AP weeks ranked in the AP poll. They have the most decades of success. They have championships. They have them in every single era, the early eras, the war eras, the pre-integration, the post-integration, the modernization era, and then the CFP era. They've had great levels of success. Alabama has two of the greatest dynasties of sports ever seen. Ohio state has had this longevity of never losing a lot of games, having only one seven loss season in its history. Like that's crazy. The only football program I believe to have never lost eight games in a year. Uh, So yeah, it truly is a remarkable stat. When you look at those two teams, they have definitely separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Uh, Now, you get to the other blue bloods. And I think there are eight blue bloods. I really am strict about it, but I think everybody's seen the graphic. We all know who the eight are outside of Ohio state and Alabama. I think you've got Michigan, Notre Dame, Nebraska, Texas, USC, and Oklahoma. I think those schools have represented the sport they have represented themselves in multiple eras you know even though michigan's been down and has struggled to reach that pinnacle again even with the shared championship in 1997 they did recently make a college football playoff so that's incredibly as i mean that's success in the modern era regardless of how you want to slice it you know notre dame despite not winning a national championship since the 80s has been a consistent winning program in the modern era, playing for multiple national championships, playing for multiple New Year's Six games. And yes, they haven't had a lot of success in those matchups, but they have been there and they have made it to the end. Not something you'd say for Nebraska. 
Nebraska has had zero success since the 90s. And outside of 2000, I think in the final years with Chris Winkie, they haven't really done anything since Tom Osborne's retirement. Uh, they've really struggled in the hiring of football coaches. They've really struggled in maintaining consistency in Scott Frost. And Lincoln, Nebraska, so I, I took a trip, a road trip to move back to Ohio. And Lincoln, Nebraska is a great city. If you get the recruits there, it's a hard city not to be a fan of. And I, I really do think Nebraska with the right leadership, with the right amount of patience, can find some magic. It's just rather than being a powerhouse like Ohio State or Alabama where it's based on recruiting top three classes, you recruit two top 15 classes, two top 10 classes, but you hit on your top 10 recruits in each of those classes. And you consistently keep churning out a lot of depth, a lot of players, and eventually you're going to have the right math and it's going to work out, but you cannot continue with the turnover or else you're going to lose it. And one of the best game day environments in Nebraska, which is why I think you can't count them out and why they're still blue blood. Texas, they've won one of the modern era. Uh, Vince Young, uh, that's the modern era. They haven't been really successful in the 2010s, but I, I don't think you could have a blue blood list without Texas. USC, same vein, you know, one, one in the modern era. Haven't really had much success in the college football era. Football on the West Coast is taking a few steps back, you know, after missing on some hires, Lane Kiffin, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, missing on Clay Helton and just kind of that whole situation. You know, you've got a new athletic director. Uh, you know, there's a lot of potential there. Lincoln Riley's there. You're, you're, you're a sexy school again. Uh, it, it could immediately play dividends and they can be back to kind of winning at this era. And then the last one I have is Oklahoma. I, I think Oklahoma has the longest win streak in college football. They've won national championships in multiple decades. Uh, they don't have the most of anything, but I just don't think you could tell the entire story of college football, especially the last 50, 60 years without Oklahoma University. So they're a blue blood. To me, there are two schools on the way out of this status. Nebraska, if they continue down this path of despair, disruption, and not sticking to the identity that built them, they will lose themselves and lose their blue blood status and have to restart. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't know if anyone my age really respects Nebraska as a football program, so I can't even imagine what people younger than me think about it on the way out. Notre Dame, uh, the running joke online is Notre Dame fans are all dying and they're, they're an incredibly old fan base. Do not get me wrong. I do not think their demographic of under forties is very, very large. So it, it, it's truly a matter of the Catholic school, what made Notre Dame special in the time, you know, Newt Rockney and all that stuff that built Notre Dame up in this Lou Holtz who kind of brought a pizzazz to Notre Dame again, you know, a swagger to him. You know, you had the movie Rudy. You've got a lot of stuff. There's an allure to Notre Dame football that isn't matched anywhere, but that allure and that, you know, they paint their helmets gold. The gold's a little less shiny than it used to be. I'm not saying they're as close to the way out as Nebraska. But I do think that some of these other teams that miss the cut might have similar arguments to Nebraska to be in the blue blood conversation. And as a guy who likes to keep the circle small, that means someone's got to go. So if I had to pick two more teams to make blue bloods, Georgia's one, Clemson's one. I think Clemson is the newest new blood in the group. And I think Georgia has had a lot of consistent success in its program's history. It just hasn't reached the pinnacle of the sport enough. Clemson just hasn't had the sustained success that the other programs have. But I think, you know, give them another decade or two at the level they're at, and they could start making some serious cases. You know, if they could, you know, I think the – Life after Dabo Sweeney is going to be the interesting question for them. Uh, they've had, he's been the best coach in their program's history. So after that, we're really going to find out what Clemson is. 
we're actually really going to find out what Clemson is this year uh, with all the new coordinators, the promoting from within and all that. Georgia, I think you can make a case they're legitimately number nine. And then just miss a cut to me. Auburn, they're kind of like the Villanova of college football. Always competitive, always kind of hanging around, but never enough sustained dominance to really warrant being a blue blood. Tennessee, very similar to Nebraska without the sustained success and a much more toxic 2000s. Like, absolutely. Miami, really great. Uh, probably one of the most storied 30 year histories of any program to ever grace the planet Earth. Uh, but no, before Howard Schellingberger, Howie Schellingberg, uh, he, he they're not very good. Uh, they were actually a really porous football program. They were horrible for a long period of time. Penn State, uh, you know, despite all that went on there, uh, their football history is rich. Uh, I think, you know, they're always going to have that stain on them historically, the stain on the Joe Pa uh, tenure and – you know, you really cannot overlook that, uh, even with the wins, even with the few national championships, even with the success through multiple decades. Like, they, they built a really story program in State College, but they're just not there. Uh, and then LSU, uh, similar to Miami, they are very much meteoric. They rise like the Phoenix burn. Uh, they're Icarus, that story, that Greek story. They fly too close to the sun, they get burned, but they get there. They fly. And that's that's LSU. They just missed the cut. Uh, but overall, I love the Blue Blood conversation. I'd love to hear your guys' Blue Bloods if you've listened to the show this far. Tweet at me. Who are your Blue Bloods? What are your Blue Blood standards? Uh, I, I feel very motivated to do this after I was included in a mailbag that a lot of people read. So, uh, I was very proud of that. I was very proud of that tweet, and I'm very proud to be a part of this conversation. Uh, so Ohio State and Alabama are the only two blue bloods in my book, but the rest of y'all can debate. Uh, lastly, today, all right, thank you guys for bearing with me on my lonesome. I can't believe we made it an hour, but final thoughts today. Uh, final four predictions We've got Duke versus North Carolina, uh, Villanova versus Kansas, a lot of blue in the final four. So fun fact, uh, my girlfriend and me, we participate in bracket challenges together and all that stuff. Uh, she picks based on seating and then based on color. Um, relatively pretty much a coin flip every single game. Um, her favorite color is blue. So guess what? She did incredibly well this year and guess who did it because they picked Baylor and Texas tech and all these big 12 schools who don't play defense. Um, your boy, he did not do well. Uh, not my best year in brackets. I felt very confident, watched a lot of college basketball. And I think that was my problem. Uh, but once again, you know, in a sport where everyone says parody, you know, you need 64 teams and we could get into playoff expansion right here. And I think that's going to be the leading conversation next week. 64 teams in the tournament. Who'd you get? Three blue bloods, a new blood and historic powers. All four of them, historic powers. That's who you got in the final four this year. No new ones, no new faces, nothing. So 64 teams to decide that Villanova, Duke, Kansas, and North Carolina were there. If you gave everyone a chance to pick those four teams versus the field to make the final four, I think a lot of people would take those four teams against the field. Me personally, I didn't. And that's why my bracket sucked. Uh, so next time, don't go with your gut. Don't go with what you feel. Just pick some traditional powers. Some people who have had historical success in March, you know, especially coaches, Coach K, one of the best in March, Jay Wright, one of the best in March, you know, Bill Self, always winning, always getting to the end. And then North Carolina, uh, Hubert Davis has done an incredible job just continuing building up that program, you know, taking over after a legend like Roy Williams isn't easy, but you know, 12 is enough. If you think 16 or 24, or even more teams in a playoff are going to make college football have more parity. You're, you're, you're crazy. Uh, to me, 
I think access is important, but the reality of it is it's just going to give Ohio State, it's just going to give Alabama, it's just going to give the powerhouses with the most talent second chances to make up for those losses, uh, just like the college basketball tournament did. Oh, yeah. What's up, Gonzaga? Sorry, you went home because guess what? You're not Duke. You're not Kansas. You're not North Carolina. You're not Villanova. And despite all the new money you have, you're just not that guy, pal. Uh, but yeah, so my predictions this week, I, I, I'm i going to say I think Duke beats North Carolina. I think he makes it to the championship. Uh, the harder game for me to predict is Villanova. I really like Villanova. I think they're a very well-coached team. I think they've got a very dynamic roster. All five players on the floor for them. They go eight or nine deep. All nine players can score. All nine players are good passers. All nine players are willing rebounders. They are the epitome of team basketball. Bill Self has Kansas playing. Bill Self's coaching for his dad. You know, I I think – I haven't watched many Kansas games, but as a better, I have put a lot of my cash on Kansas, and they've been a very nice cash cow, I think, to me. And – I, it's hard to go against that. Uh, I couldn't tell you a Kansas player. That's kind of how much I've watched them. But I, I, I remember watching them. I remember them beating uh, – they were the ones who played St. Peter's. No, North Carolina played St. Peter's. Uh, regardless, Kansas, they handled their way. They got there. Uh, so Kansas, Villanova, I don't know who I'm going to pick. I'm going to ride with Cats. They'll put the Vs up. Uh, Villanova to the ship against Duke, and I think – if Duke gets the matchup against Villanova, I think Coach K walks off and rides in the sunset, which is exactly what college basketball wants. So I do think Coach K gets his storybook ending. But I don't want that. I'm rooting against it hard. I'm going to fade Coach K all the way to the end. And um, to close out the show, I mean, I watched an incredible uh, – the ACC Network had a really awesome documentary about the class that saved Coach K. You know, Coach K's tenure didn't start as electrifying as people thought. And he brought in a young recruiting class. It was very overmatched. And I think the poetic justice of this story, you know, beating North Carolina, the program Duke was chasing for so long, beating Kansas, if that's the way it goes, beating the other traditional power in the sport, like, Man, you couldn't write a better story, but I'm rooting against that story 1,000%. I don't want Coach K to go out happy. I'm sorry if that makes me a bad person. I don't think it does. I I think we should all fade Coach K and root for Villanova, root for Kansas, root for North Carolina. I'd be happiest. I've really, really enjoyed watching North Carolina. Brady Maddox, one of the best players I've watched. He's so fun. His release is effortless. He's this great shooter, and he puts it on the floor incredibly well, but – uh, Baycott's my favorite player in the tournament. He's gained a fan for for life at UNC. I wish Ohio State had a player like him. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a fun Final Four. Make sure you guys are tuning in. And the Land Grant Holy Land Bracket Challenge will be decided, and we'll get to see who walks away as champion. And that's it for me today, guys. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at ChrisRunningCFB, and don't forget to pull the show up, fuck off the pod. Thanks for spending time with me today. I appreciate you guys joining me. Had a lot of fun doing the show, kind of going back to my old ways. And I will see you guys next week. And we'll update you guys on Twitter with the plan as we move forward a little bit more. Uh, Thank you guys, as always. Go Bucks and adios.